actually I'm understating it. They're really putting heavy pressure to say, you need to do these things in order to be right with God. And it says, Peter is totally getting along with non, he's a Jew, but he's getting along with non-Jewish Christians until this group shows up. And when they do, he pulls away and Paul is ripped and he is totally mad for good reason. Now, it says they were associated with James. Now, I don't think you should look badly on James for that. Sometimes the lieutenants do not reflect the leader. Have you ever had that experience where you meet someone and you're saying, well, I'm an ambassador on behalf or I'm a representative on behalf of such and such leader or business or, or organization, and you think, I hope not all their representatives are like that. <laughs> Surely they can't be. Uh, so don't, this isn't throwing shade on James, but these are people who knew James and were, were associated with him, but they were way off base. So Peter felt pressured by this group, and this group was adding to the good news message about Jesus. And he felt pressured. And uh, basically, again, they're saying Jesus' work, Jesus' love was not enough. People also needed to fulfill the requirements of the Jewish religious law, especially getting circumcised. It wasn't Jesus plus nothing, but Jesus plus circumcision and observance of all these Jewish uh, religious and cultural rules. So let's go to the next verse. It says, When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So now, Paul is sort of saying, if you, could, if you want to put it in really modern terms, Paul is basically saying, your actions are fairly racist. Your actions are fairly racist. Now he could have just said that. You're being racist, and that's not very nice. You're being racist to these people who aren't Jewish, and that's not nice. He could have said that. Or he could have said, your, your racism, the way that you're acting, doesn't line up with the law. Even the law we grew up with as good Jewish boys, he said, it doesn't line up with that. He could have said that. But actually, he says something more powerful and more convicting than that, especially as I'm sure it was very convicting for Peter to hear. He says, your racism is not in line with the truth of the gospel. Your racism is not in line with the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel is what defines followers of Jesus. So he's saying to Peter, Peter, you are a representative of this incredible message given to the whole world. That God, in his mercy, saw mankind trapped in sin, under the power of sin, with no way to get out, and God the Father sent the Son, and the Son embraced the, the plan of salvation, which was uh, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, rising again in victory in the, in the resurrection. And his righteousness is now available to all mankind in exchange for their sin. Saying, you are an ambassador. You're a representative of that message in the world. But your life is not currently lining up with that message. See, these people who have come from, connected with James somehow, not necessarily throwing shade on James again, but these people who have come, they are saying, that's not enough. You've got to fulfill all these Jewish laws too. And that isn't the good news. In fact, once you add, once you go Jesus plus something else, it's not the good news anymore. It's a perversion, it's a twisting, it's a, reverse, a reversing of the gospel. Kurt had a really great um, thing last week where he said, um, which is the gospel? Here's three words. I'm going to put three words out. And these, Kurt used these last week. It was really great. Believe, saved, obey. So it's like an order. You believe, and then you're saved, and you obey. Or is it... Believe, obey, and then you're saved. You say, what's the difference? Everything. Everything. The first one is the gospel. But the second one is adding to the gospel. See, for religious, very religious people, and Paul and Peter were very religious people uh, before they met Jesus, and and and. Most of the people in the Jewish context would have been very religious people. 
there's a huge temptation to say, well, you know, the way I'm going to get right with God is by my obedience, by my actions, by my performance, by my good works. And uh, Paul is saying, this is a perversion of the gospel. It's not, you are not acting in line with the gospel. Gospel And your racism, the way that you're saying, now how is it racism? It's basically saying what I'm adding to the gospel is something out of my ethnicity, right? Jesus plus Jewish cultural uh, requirements. It'd be like if I uh, went, let's say you send me out as a missionary to some foreign country and I come with the gospel. John 3.16 is a great, summary of the gospel for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life what if I said that and then at the end I said and the world needs a little more Canada what if I said well you know that first part I told you that's good, but you know, you need to add the, the second part too. So it's not just that I want you to become a follower of Jesus. I'd like you to become a little more Canadian, please. Do you see that doing that negates the first thing? When you say what you need is you need what Jesus has done. And then you say, plus this. Suddenly, now you're not confident in what Jesus has done. You're looking at the plus. You're looking at the extra. You're looking at the man-made addition to what God said. And now you're putting your confidence there. And that can't save you. And so now you don't have the gospel anymore. You have a twisted up, perverted, untrue thing that you can't rely on, you can't base your life on. So Jesus plus a little bit of being British won't save you. As good as England is, especially today. (laughs) Have you heard football's coming home? I don't know if you know what that means. I love the fact that none of you are watching the World Cup, and I'm probably the only person, myself and Phil Atkins. Where's our chairman of the board? Are you here today, Phil? Do you want to just wave? Oh, over there. Look at that. Look at that shirt. Look at that shirt. I don't know how you got two Atkins running the church, but we're not related. I just have to say that all the time. We're not related, but right now we're proud. We're proud. England won't let us down this time, will they? (laughs) We've said that many times before. Anyhow. (laughs) So the, the gospel, Paul is upset. He says... You're under the influence, Peter. You're under the influence of somebody else who's got you so that you're not living in line with the gospel and you are called of God to represent it. Now let's talk about that living in line. I'll tell you about the time where I was under the influence. I was 16 and I was driving home from Brandon, Manitoba to Surus, where I live, about a half hour drive. It was late at night. I'd been at youth group. That's, I went to youth group in Brandon. And uh, I was the only one in the car, and it was, it was dark. It was super late. There wasn't a car on the road. And I, was, I had a friend I had just dropped off, and, or a couple friends I just dropped off. They needed rides home. And the one guy had forgotten to roll up the window in the back seat. And so I'm driving along, and I thought, well, I can pull over and roll up the window, but there's nobody on the road. So I'm going to do this. And so I'm doing the, I'm rolling the window. Now, I've already checked. There's nobody on the road. This is, in my mind, as a 16-year-old driver, this is totally safe. To clarify, that's a really dumb thing to do. It's not safe. Don't ever do this. Anyhow, so I'm holding the wheel. I'm rolling up the back window. Every time I roll it, I have to sort of go under the dashboard. I can't quite see the road. I'm coming up, and I'm, I'm compensating. And eventually, I get the window rolled up. And I get back into my position and sort of correct my steering and look and... Sure enough, there's nobody on this deserted little Manitoba road in front of me. And there's no one, I look in my rearview mirror, there's nobody behind me except for one car with flashing lights. (laughs) (laughs) 
so when I'm pulled over, he says, uh, how much you've been drinking? <laughs> I said, I haven't been drinking. He said, no, no, I asked, let me ask you again, how much you've been drinking? I said, no, I haven't been drinking. He said, where are we coming from? Oh, this is the last time you want to say youth group, right? But yeah, okay, just from Brandon, and I'm going to Sirs and whatever. And he says, get out of the car. So I got out of the car. He says, I want you to walk in a straight line. Well, now it's a little perplexing because he is absolutely confident that I'm drunk. But how did I just do that? So we have this conversation, and he asked me what I was doing, and I told him about the window. And um, you know that um, RCMP officers, they're trained in sensitivity. Did you know that? And this one maybe missed that training session. I don't think he was trying in any way to uh, bolster my (laughs) self-esteem. We had a conversation there on the dark side of the road there. Uh, that left me about one inch tall when I was done. And I got back into my car and I vowed I will never do that again. Now, he was gracious. He didn't give me a ticket. I totally deserved a ticket, but he didn't give me a ticket. So I really, I went away knowing two things. One, that I was a lawbreaker, and two, that I'd received grace. Now, It's easy to fall off on one side or the other with the gospel. Now, it was easy for me that night to walk the line, but to actually stay in line with the gospel is actually trickier than we think. Like, if Peter could fall off, Peter. And this isn't like the old Peter who was such a mess before Jesus really worked him through. This is the the leader Peter who God has been using in incredible ways. He's probably one of the most significant leaders in the church. And yet he strayed and got out of line with the gospel and stumbled off to the right or to the left. So if it's possible for that to happen to him, well, then it's possible for us for to happen to us. And so we got to be careful. We got to be careful. I got to be careful. You got to be careful that we don't start adding something to the gospel or maybe subtracting something from the gospel or trying to change it in some way, this good news message. I want to, I want to do a little test for you here this morning. I'm gonna, this is a game of spot the twisted gospel through a country music song. Okay? So I heard this song on the radio not that long ago. I guess it's been out for a couple months. Some of you guys maybe sing it, you know. Uh, and I don't even know the artist. I really am not a country music guy. I just occasionally turn there. I, I like country music in doses. Okay. So anyhow, this is a song by Luke Bryan. And the title is called Most People Are Good. Now, I'm going to read it line by line. And I want you to think whether it lines up with the gospel or not. Okay, first, first one. I believe kids ought to stay kids as long as they can. Does that disagree with the gospel? No. In fact, I sort of like that sentiment. I quite like that. Good job, Luke Bryan. I'm on board. Number two, now the second line. Turn off the screen, go climb a tree, get dirt on their hands. Luke Bryan, you are a hero. That is awesome. In fact, that's exactly what I want my kids to do this summer. That is great. This is a good country music song. This is turning out really, really nice. I don't spot anything yet that contradicts the gospel. I believe we got to forgive and make amends because nobody gets a second chance to make new old friends. Man, I'm going to buy the. I'm going to buy the album. This guy's good. I like what he's saying. Forgiveness, man. That is. That's the bread and butter of Christians. Hey, this is good, Luke Bryan. You're you're nailing it. I believe in working hard for what you've got, even if it doesn't add up to a lot. Yeah? If you shall not work, you shall not eat, the scripture says. Oh, man, this is good. Come on over for dinner. Be my best friend, Luke Bryan. You're a good old boy. I like you. Now the chorus. I believe most people are good. Oh, I guess I should have saw that coming. That's the title, right? (laughs) I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. Oh, well, if it's packaged like that, how can you disagree, right? Oh, mama. Oh, she's so great, right? 
But I believe most people are good. Oh, that's really discouraging because I've discovered about myself that I'm not so good. Really, everybody else is? Ah, I'm the only one who really struggles in all these ways? Am I the only one who's actually sort of looked a little bit into the darker corners of my heart and got super discouraged? Oh, Luke Bryan, I hope you're wrong. <laughs> Thank you, Hazel. You got company. Well, if me and Hazel are the only ones, <laughs> at least we've got each other. And that's a lot. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Most people are good. Well, you know, this still disagrees with what the Bible teaches us. There's none righteous and no, not one. All have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. All, all have... Hey, that's the truth of the Bible. So... Luke, Brian, I'm, I respectfully disagree on this one. There is a sin problem that every human being deals with, and, and we actually have to reckon with that. But I'm liking your song. I'm liking your song. And now I'm just going to read um, two more lines. Again, we got our, do we got our radar up for spotting if something disagrees with the gospel? I believe them streets of gold, I believe them streets of gold are worth the work. but I'd still want to go if they were paved in dirt. Well, I like that second line. I believe them streets of gold are worth the work. Dear Luke Bryan, I am so sorry that we pastors have failed you. We obviously aren't clearly communicating the gospel. Luke Bryan, in one song, nails both extremes, extreme errors about the gospel. It's a good song for most parts. Lots of things I agree about it. But I, I hope he's not teaching at a Bible college anytime soon. Here's the two errors. You talk about walking the line. The one error is, the one I just went to, you can get to heaven if you work for it. You can earn your way to heaven. You can make yourself right with God if you work hard enough. It's worth the work. You put in the effort and you can do it. Then the other error, the other way you get out of line with the gospel is the other one. I believe most people are good. I find this just crazy that in his song, there's both contradictions to the gospel. He's got them both in there. I, I, it's a real head scratcher for me because I would think most people would fall off one side or fall off the other. But he fell off both sides. See, let me, let me just talk about these two sides. So how can I... Let's say over here you've got the truth that God is Holy. What does that mean? He's, he's pure and righteous and sinless. He doesn't have anything to do with evil. And so as a result of this truth, what would you, what would you uh, know about yourself? Well, if, if you say, well, I look into my own heart and I, I discover jealousy and greed and, and fear and anger and lust and all sorts of things that I'm not proud of, but I know that they don't line up with a holy God then I say, well, okay, it's pretty clear that I'm a sinner. So you know something about God. He's holy and pure and righteous, and I'm not. Now, let's take a break, and let's go over here. Here's the other truth about God that, that, that maybe could help balance us out, and that would be that God is loving, right? So, so here's, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, obviously God demonstrated his love for us by sending Jesus to come and die and take our sin and, and to make this exchange possible. We receive his righteousness. He takes our sin upon himself, right? Man has sinned. God has suffered. Incredible, incredible love that he has for us, that he would go to such length. We sing that song, he left the 99 to find the one, you know? He went all out to uh, bring us back into relationship with him to make us right with him. So, he loves us. So you've got these two, but here's, here's where the error comes in. 
most people just believe one of these two. Or they major on one of these two and almost practically forget the other one. So over here you have people, and this would have been the problem in Peter and Paul's day, is people would have said, God is holy, he is righteous, he's right to, to, to expect from his creation that they obey him and follow him, but this is not the condition that he finds his created people in. They're like sheep that have gone astray. They've, they've totally, uh, they've disobeyed God. They've rebelled against God. In fact, they, many of them have just become enemies to God. And so people who say, well, you know what? I know God is holy, but I'm not sure, sure about that love and grace thing or whatever, but I know this is true. Then they're saying, what can I do to be right with God? Well, I got to work. I got to do a lot of good deeds. I got to follow the golden rule and the Ten Commandments, and I got to and I got to prove to God somehow that I'm righteous and that He should accept me. That I'm well, I'm a good person through my actions. And so, instead of trusting in Jesus, people on this side they trust in themselves. They trust in their own ability to perform for God. And they say, am I right with God? And then they check their own performance. And that's where they either feel proud because they did it or feel totally discouraged because they're failing. We'll take a break from this side. This is Peter, Paul, and most of those Jews. That's where they would have been. That would have been their bigger temptation. Today, I think in our context, the temptation is on this side. Oh, I know there are lots of religious people in this world who struggle on this side. But when I think about Canada, when I think about Moose Jaw, I think most people, their struggle is on this side. That they, they have a sense of, well, God loves me, but they don't think much about the holiness of God. So this is their thing. It's, just like, it's like, God loves me, but he's not holy. And so it's basically sort of like this sentimental idea that I'm good. I'm already good. You're perfect just the way you are, right? You just, everything, you know, people are mostly good. I'm good, I'm acceptable. It doesn't matter what I believe or think or, or it doesn't matter. I just, I'm good, I'm already good and, and God loves me. But you know what? The fact that God loves a person who thinks mostly in this camp has very little effect on them. Has very little effect on them. Why? It's like, oh, God loves me. Everybody's been telling me I'm a great thing all my life. Everybody's trying, bolstering my self-esteem my whole life, telling me I'm all that. I'm just glad God caught up and found out what's true about me. So God loves you and he died for you. Really, why did he do that? It's totally unnecessary. I'm already good. And so you hear the gospel, or you hear, you not necessarily hear the gospel, but you don't reckon with the fact that God is holy, that our sin is an offense to him, and he is a just judge, and he won't allow sin to go unpunished. Because we aren't reckoning with that, we don't have any gratitude towards God when we hear that he's willing to forgive us. We're like, forgive us? For what? If you fall off on either side of the gospel, you will lose your gratitude. If you're on this side and you say, it's my work, I'm going to do it, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to prove to God that I'm good, and you feel somehow you did it, guess what? Who's the hero? You. This side is all about me. I did it. Or it's about me. I can't do it. It's either pride, boasting, or it's despair. But on this side, you don't even feel like you need a savior. And so this side, when you hear the gospel, you say, you don't say me, like boasting, you just say meh. Like who cares? 
And so this is why it's so important that these two things come together, that we reckon that God is a holy God and God is a loving God, and that both of these realities are held together. And they tell us about who we are too. They tell us about who we are. So who am I? Well, I am a sinner. That's the holiness of God tells me. That's been shown incredible grace. That's what the loving love of God tells me. And I take these two truths and I hold them simultaneously together. And they produce change. Because when you get a hold of the fact that what you deserve is the wrath of God and not the forgiveness of God, and yet he offers his forgiveness. When you get a hold of the fact you cannot earn your way to be right with God, so God made a way for you to be right with God. Now, you're operating out of a whole new way of thinking. You say, I have something to be grateful for. And not a small thing. Not a small thing. Not a sort of like, oh, that's nice. I also have that to add to my blessings. No, no, no. The all-encompassing engine that drives your life forward into the future is gratitude for the gospel. Is gratitude for the gospel. But if you get out of line with the gospel, if you aren't in that middle position where you're holding the holiness of God and the love of God together and reckoning with both of those things at the same time, with saying, wow, I'm a sinner, but I'm a justified sinner. Justified, oh, that's a strange word. What does it mean? It means, it's see how you're seen, right? Like if my kid comes home late from something and I said, I needed you here at four o'clock so our family could go to this function. Why aren't you here at four o'clock? And I'm mad and I'm upset. And then they say, uh, you know, dad, there was a, a fire at school today. A fire alarm? No, no, like a real fire. And then we all had to go outside and then we missed the bus and I had to walk home. And so Now, what's my son doing? He's justifying his actions. Now, have his actions changed at all? No, he still came home late. But do I see his actions in a whole new light? Yes, I do. I say, oh, wow. I'm sorry for blaming you because you, I feel like your actions are justified now. Here's the thing with justification. It says we're justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Because we trust in Jesus, Jesus, or God sees us in a whole new light. He sees us in a whole new light. He sees us because we have, by faith, trusted in Jesus. He sees us as people who are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Okay, how does God look at Jesus? What is, how, do you, how do you think God the Father, as he's looking at Jesus and sees his, his, uh, his love, his faithfulness, his obedience, his courage? How do you think the Father feels about Jesus? Wow. Incredible. I don't even have words to describe it, but the, the, how the Father sees the Son. Amazing. And through faith in Christ, God sees you that way too. Through faith in Christ, God sees you that way, the way he looks at Jesus. And you say, I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Sound like a song we sing? That's exactly right. And that's why the gratitude flows. We have something we so don't deserve, we so didn't earn, But Jesus made it possible. So God has called us to live in that place of dependence on what Christ has done for us. Let me just read the rest of our scripture here today. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful, sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by works of the law. Remember, that's what the person over here is trying to do. Right? I'm trying to earn it, I'm trying to work hard enough for heaven. Heaven's worth the work. Ooh, Luke Bryan, sorry. 
The person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Paul is speaking to Peter and saying, hey, we're both Jews. We had the best religious system you could possibly have. In fact, it was set up by God himself. But you can't be made right by obeying the law. Well, the law has a really important place in the, God's commands have a really important place and that's why we continue to read them in the Bible. We read the Ten Commandments, take them seriously. We read the Golden Rule, we read the Sermon on the Mount. We read those things, we take them very seriously. But you know what they show us? Our absolute inability to accomplish them and that we need a savior. Every time I look at the Ten Commandments, I can pretty much point out half of them that I've disobeyed. When I dig deeper, it gets to more like eight or nine out of 10. I don't go away from that going, I'm a good person. I go away from that going, I need a savior. When I read the Sermon on the Mountain, I read about the life that Jesus was calling people to. I don't go through everything in there and go, nope, never did that, never did that, never did that. I go through, did, 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 did. Every one of them. I don't go away from that going, I don't need a savior. I go away from that going, I need a savior. I am a sinner. I don't live up to God's holy standard. What I deserve is wrath. And what God offers is his righteousness. He offers me to be able to be right with him. What an incredible gift. It's, not, it's funny, because it's a free gift, but it's not a cheap gift. That's hard for me to get my head around, because I'm a cheapo. Right? The best gifts are the ones you got for free, or that you re-gifted. This is not like that. This is the most costly gift. Scriptures tell us it wasn't with just silver or gold that our salvation was bought, but it was the blood of Jesus Christ. If you actually, someone gave you a gift, you unwrapped a present, and then someone whispered in your ear and you said, you know what it cost this person to give you this gift? What? They bled for that gift. How would you treat it? Would you be looking for the receipt? Man, I wonder if I can take this back to the store. No, you'd put it up on the mantle. You might dust it every day. You might just go and touch it every day. You might just think about that person and you might just go, I'm not worthy of this. Hopefully your heart would go to the right place and that's the gratitude. Let's read a little bit more. Paul, who was an expert at keeping the Jewish law, he, he, he said, that's not able to make him righteous. But what his attempts at good behavior could not do, Jesus, Jesus' behavior did do. So he's not trusting in his own good deeds to make him right with God, but in Jesus' righteous life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection, that's what he's trusting in. Verse 17, but, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. I rebuild what I, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. This is probably the most confusing paragraph in here. Um, so again, remember that the issue is that Peter had stopped associating with non-Jewish Christians who weren't circumcised, implying that they needed more than Jesus. They also needed to follow these Jewish laws, which couldn't save them anyhow. And so I think uh, Paul is sort of putting a dig in there. Peter would know, because he walked with Jesus, what people called Jesus when they were making fun of him. And when people made fun of Jesus, the really religious people would make fun of him by saying, he's a friend of sinners, friend of sinners. 
It's funny how something can be something you're mocked with and at the same time a biggest bragging point in the world. Jesus was the friend of sinners. That didn't mean he was a sinner or condoned sin. Far from it. So Paul, I think, is in this way, in some ways, trying to help redirect Peter and say, listen, you were eating with Gentiles. Now, people have come along and confused the whole thing, put pressure on you. You've obviously, you know, gotten out of step with the gospel because you're sending some crazy mixed messages by your refusal to eat with non-Jewish people. But think back. Think back. People might be saying right now that I, Paul, when I eat with Gentile people, that somehow I'm associating with sin. Remember Jesus. Does this jog your memory? I, this is some of my own theory on this, but I think this jogs Peter's memory. About Think about how Jesus acted and lived. And Peter, you're so out of step with that. Because Jesus came for those who are far from God. For those who were totally obviously trapped in sin. Oh, there's lots of religious people who could cover it up. They were in sin, but they just made it themselves look good. But these people, totally. There was no hiding it. And Jesus didn't shy away from those people. And then it says, For though through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for Christ. The law shows us our shortcomings, even as we try to keep it. We come to see our own unrighteousness and come to realize our need for someone to save us from the power and penalty of sin in our lives. So we don't trust in our ability to keep the commandments of God, but we trust in Jesus' work and love, and then we live for God as a response. And here's the the final verses, which are so triumphant. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God like someone in this side would do, putting aside the love of God, the grace of God, and all that. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could come or could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Back to Luke Brian's song. If people are mostly good, then why did Jesus die? Did he die for nothing? No. If going to heaven was worth the work because you could actually work to get yourself there, then why did Jesus die? Why did he have to die if you could just work your way there? Clearly you can't. And Paul says this. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing, which he doesn't believe at all and Peter doesn't believe. So here's Paul saying, I identify with Jesus. In fact, I draw my identity from Jesus. You know when the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith? He's saying, when, the more you gaze upon Jesus, the more you fix yourself, and you, I mean, you, 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 you set your mind focused and meditating on the, what Jesus has done for you, the more you do that, the more your life will naturally line up with the gospel. Probably, if you were to examine your life, you could, and and maybe allow the searchlight of the Holy Spirit to examine your life, you would discover that there's many areas where you go, whoa, that doesn't actually line up with the gospel. Because the gospel, it really sends out lines through our whole life, through every activity, through every behavior, through, through everything that we might possibly do. And we might discover, if we were to to analyze our lives and then look at the gospel and analyze our lives and look at the gospel, we might come back and go, whoa, this doesn't line up with the gospel. Instead of trusting Jesus to be my righteousness, to give me his righteousness in exchange for my sin, it looks like I'm trying to become righteous on my own, or it looks like I'm trying to, to, I'm looking to this to save me, or I'm looking for this to make me feel right and be right. I was interacting with one of my neighbors recently. And uh, after we'd done a fair bit together, built a fence. Built a fence together. Mostly he built the fence and I paid him. Anyhow, um, it was great. I got some experience. And it was good. 
And uh, when it was all done, really super great guy, great guy, love this guy. He said, you're a nice person, he said to me. I said, thanks. About 20 minutes later, something twigged in my brain. Am I? No, I'm a justified sinner. (laughs) Now, I don't have a clever catchphrase. Maybe I'll develop one in the days to come. I don't know what I should have said. I don't know if I should have stopped and said, well, excuse me. I know you're just being a nice, polite Canadian, but I'm not very nice at all. Actually, I've looked into the deep, dark recesses of my heart, and it's full of wickedness. (laughs) I don't know if that's going to work. So I'm going to think about it more. Maybe you can think about it. Maybe you'll come up with something that could be a good response. But when he said, you're a nice person, I just accepted it. And I walked away and said, I am a nice. Wait a second. That thought is not really in line with the gospel. Because if I'm a nice person, if I'm good, why did Jesus have to die? He had to die because... My natural inclination is rebellion against God. My natural tendency is to go my own way. I'm like the sheep they describe in Isaiah that go their own way, and we're all like that. That is my natural inclination. And I find motivations and desires within my heart that don't tell me I'm a nice guy, they tell me I'm a wicked sinner. They tell me that I need a savior. The deeper I get into these two realities that God is holy and that I'm not, and that God is loving and has provided a way for me as a sinner, the deeper I go into that, the bigger my joy gets. You'd say, really? Yeah. Yeah. You'd say, well, well, Steve, maybe you should just take a course on self-esteem. You can tell you what self-esteem is compared to this. Okay? I've been to the Grand Canyon. Can you imagine going to see the grandeur of the Grand Canyon? You arrive on the edge of the Grand Canyon and you pull out a hand mirror. You say, whoa. Now that's an impressive view. I'm going to take a selfie with it. That's self-esteem. It has no comparison to beholding the greatness of God. Fix your eyes on Jesus. When I fix my eyes on Jesus, how holy he is, and yet he provided a way for me to be right with him. When I fix my eyes on what he's done for me, gratitude is produced. And you know, gratitude is an actually wonderful motivation in life. When I fix my eyes on Steve, I either become proud or discouraged. It goes one of those two directions. If I think I'm measuring up, I become hard to live with. I become boastful, bragging, arrogant, and rude. Or I become depressed, melancholy, listless, and weak. (laughs) But when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I discover two things, a deepened humility and a heightened confidence. I can't produce that on my own. I discover a gratefulness. I discover a joy. I discover something nobody can take away from me. I discover something that my own condemning heart can't take away from me. Because God is greater than my heart. So we're fit. let's fix our eyes on, on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross 
scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you stand with me this morning? Worship team, invite you to come on back. This morning, I, I, I think I've mostly been speaking to Christians, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to speak to you too. So just let me just talk to both real quick. If you're a Christian, we just have to. We have to. We need the gospel. Do we need the gospel? We need the gospel. It's not, wasn't just God's plan to bring us into his spiritual family. It was his plan to transform us after that. So we need the gospel. We need to be able to speak it to ourselves. When pressure comes from certain people to add, oh, it's not enough just to have Jesus. I remember praying with someone. I was in Central America. I was in Honduras. And someone was lamenting. Uh, it was a really good, godly person. Was lamenting uh, all the opportunities. They, because they lived in Honduras, they couldn't give to their children. And they were a godly person, very godly person. And in that moment, I just felt like, oh, i got to speak the gospel into their lives right now. And the gospel is, if you have Jesus, you have everything. You have everything. If my kids are the best at sports and arts and drama and, and get great jobs and, and have great incomes and great retirements and don't have Jesus... Can we rewind the tape and trade it all back? Can we rewind the tape and, and, and give that all away and just give us Jesus instead because that's what's really life is about. So if you're a Christian here today, I want to say we need to, this has been good for me to go into Galatians. I realize, man, sometimes I get off the gospel. I'm adding to the gospel. Or I'm trying to work to make myself right with God when I just need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to focus in on what he's done for me. Praise him, honor him, thank him. Live out of that grateful place, not out of this proving myself place that isn't so healthy. And I'm loving, I want to tell you this, I'm loving how he turns every discovery of sin in my heart into joy. It's a process. I discover, hey, that's not right. That's not where God wants me to be. I recognize I'm out of line with, with, with how he wants me to live. I confess that to him. And as I confess that to him, the, the key at the end is to turn your attention towards him. Because the biggest thing is not that you're a great sinner. The biggest thing is that he is a great savior. And he's a great at forgiving you. So at the end of your confession, your gaze should be fully fixed on him. Thanking him. Rejoicing in him. Confession should raise your head, not lower it. Well, you lower it first, but then it should raise you right back up. You should be walking 10 feet tall because you're walking in the grace of God. So if you're a believer, we need the gospel. We need to be able to speak it to ourselves. If you, if you say, hey, I'm not there. That's good that you sort of told what you told to Christians here. If you're, you say, I haven't, I'm not, I haven't crossed that line of faith yet. I haven't got, haven't you? Maybe, maybe you have even in this service. I'm not sure. There's a point where God will illuminate the truth of his word to you. Maybe he's already done it. Maybe you need to begin a conversation with somebody so you can sort some of that out. Or maybe today you just recognize, uh, I need to have a conversation with God about what's forming in my heart. Last night, I was at a wonderful wedding banquet and I sat with uh, this, these couples around a table and this one lady told me, she said, in 2002, 2002, right around there, she said, I, I, I came to church with my in-laws uh, at this church. And uh, I'd gone to church at Christmas and Easter dutifully all my life. And then I was coming to this church and it was the first time I heard someone tell me, uh, that it wasn't about religion, it was about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the end of that service, in tears, I surrendered to Jesus. That's what she told me last night. She came to believe. So maybe, maybe for you this morning, if you're saying, I haven't crossed that line of faith, maybe something's stirring in you. Maybe God has already put in motion the gears 
to bring you to himself or maybe to bring you back to himself. I want to pray for you, okay? I'm going to pray for Christians too, but if you're not, if you say, I'm, I'm just right and teetering on the edge, I'm going to pray for you. Father, thank you for your incredible grace poured out on us. It's so undeserved. It's unearnable, but you did it. You saw us and you loved us. When we were indifferent towards you, when we were in rebellion towards you, when we didn't respond, you initiated. So we thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And I thank you for each one in the sound of my voice who's come to believe. They've come to say, that's, I have been crucified with Christ. That's the biggest single reality of my life. The old me died with Jesus. And there's a new me that doesn't, that isn't, isn't wired and designed to live for myself anymore. But I've been called to live for the one who died for me. So, Lord, I thank you for each one who they know that to be true. But, Lord, there's some here today, and maybe they don't know that to be true today in their hearts. Lord, I thank you that you're doing business with them. You're drawing them. You're speaking to them. You're assuring them that they can trust you. That what you have done is enough for them to become right with the Father. So, Father, we ask that anyone who's uh, right there and they need to respond to you and they need to to come to you, their hearts are already turning towards you. Lord, I pray that you'd finish that work in them. Finish that work. I thank you for that new birth that you give us, that we aren't that old, we aren't, you haven't called us to live a life for ourselves, but you've called us to live for you. You call us to live for the one who died and rose again. In your name. Hey, can we just make it really okay to have spiritual conversations? If you have need to chat with somebody about that, there's going to be prayer teams and pastors afterwards. You can have a chat with them. Let's try to keep this room a place for that. And then the foyer is a great place to visit. And, uh, and don't forget to bring your little kids home with you today because they'll get really lonely by Monday. So uh, that'd be good. But God bless you for coming out. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, may you have a wonderful... God-blessed, hot summer.